I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, my name is Donnie Clinton Jr. and I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Sycamore. Um, it is my joy this morning to be opening God's Word with you as we continue our study in the book of Colossians where we're talking about the beauty and sufficiency of Christ. Today we'll be in Colossians 1, 21 through 23, which is on page 924 in the Bible under the seat in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. We're saying thank you for being a guest with us this morning. So today we'll be talking about the Christian idea of reconciliation, which Paul began addressing in Colossians 1.20. When we talk about this idea, reconciliation, the first thing we find is that we're saying something is broken. We are estranged from something. Uh, we're hostile towards someone. We're out of discord, out of a relationship. And Christianity teaches that the death of Jesus Christ put away all the sins of God's elect and ensures that those who believe will be reconciled to God. We, we need to be, you might be asking, why do we need to be reconciled? What have I done wrong? That might be a question you're asking. Well, that's a good question. Way back in, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate from the tree the knowledge of good and evil and disobeyed a direct order that God had given them. It was a rule by which they could show their obedience and love for their creator, but they, they broke that rule. But now you might be wondering, why does the sin of some far-off stranger affect me? And that's a really good question as well. Think of Adam and Eve like you'd think of the roots of a tree. That the tree is dependent on the health of the roots and what it takes in nourishes the rest of the tree. Humanity is the rest of the tree. We are connected to them um, because they're the very roots, the very kind of foundation of our, of our humanity. And so what they have taken in, either good or bad, will go on to nourish the tree. And they took in sin, and that means you and I are affected by sin. That we are part, that there is something deep in us that is sick and broken, and, and we need it fixed. Long, long story short, they, Adam and Eve took in something terrible, and now the whole tree is touched by sin. The good news is that scripture doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with the, with the fallen brokenness of Adam and Eve. Just immediately after Genesis uh, 3, when, they, when God pronounces curse on the people, on Adam and Eve, he says uh, that he is gonna crush evil and that he is gonna make things right. That means that you and I will be saved by a God who from the very event horizon of brokenness has committed himself to saving you. And that's very good news. But how does he do that? Another good question. You guys are full of good questions this morning. We are reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if, if Paul is teaching us anything, if you walk away from, from this service with any knowledge, any note, this is what you should walk away with. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We don't need anything else to be made right with God other than faith, faith in Jesus and repentance for our sins. Jesus is enough. 
Let's read Colossians 1, 21 through 23 this morning, and then we will begin. And you, who, were, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and to which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me. Lord, we know that we cannot understand this without your Holy Spirit. So please, by your Spirit, help us see this text and help us see that reconciliation is on offer for all those who have faith in your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Sean just last week taught on Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which, in my humble opinion, is like the most beautiful representation of who Christ is and what he's done for us in the entirety of, of the Bible. I, it's, it's simply gorgeous. And we saw a lot of things about Christ that he's never ordinary, but we also saw that he's, he's two things really specifically. One, he, he's the head of creation. That's Colossians 1, 15 through 16. But then we also saw that he's the head of the new creation, the church. That's Colossians 1, 17 through 20. And in verse 20, Paul begins on this idea of, of reconciliation. And 21 through 23 are the application part of Paul's sermon, so to speak. If Paul were speaking this to us, 21 through 23, the verses we'll be touching on this morning, are how 15 through 20 get applied to the life of the believer. And we're going to cover it in three points. Um, Point one is once you were hostile. That'll be verse 21. Point two is now you are holy. And our final point this morning will be cling to your hope. That'll be verse 23. So hostile, holy, hope. Those are our main points this morning. Let's begin with the first. Once you were hostile. This is verse 21. Read it with me. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The idea of reconciliation is very hopeful. But, but Paul begins by talking about who the Colossian church was before they had faith in Jesus Christ. They were alienated to God. They did evil things. They were hostile. And when I read this for the very, very first time, I was like, why would would Paul show us the height of Christ's beauty in 15 through 20 then immediately transition to such a downer? Why, Why would he show us all this beauty and then pivot to talking about how hostile we are? And it's actually, this is a foundational idea that you can't really understand the beauty of Jesus Christ without first seeing the depth of your own sinfulness. Paul's idea is that you cannot understand the surpassing beauty, majesty, lordship of Jesus Christ without having a true understanding of just how sinful you are. You'll, you'll never see the beauty of Christ's death if you don't see the brokenness within you. And that's a brokenness you'll never be able to plunge the depths of. 
that you must begin this lifelong journey of learning anew and anew just how shattered of a human person you are by the sin of Adam and Eve, that you are part of the infected tree and you need a gardener to take care of you and make you better. And now this may be a very uncomfortable idea. Nobody in the world wants to think of themselves as evil. I I certainly don't. In in fact, it's likely that you probably think of yourself as a good person. (laughs) If, If... I mean, the narrative that we hear so often is that at the basest part of who you are, you are good. And that is not true. It is not true that your basest motivations are good. Scripture teaches time and time again that we are sinful and broken by virtue of being part of a tree. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful from birth, at birth, from at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. J.I. Packer says this, Sin is a universal deformity of our human nature. It's something every person shares regardless of their faith in Jesus Christ. And sin in your life plays out, obviously, We display a lack of conformity to God's law and standards. It's it's demonstrated through our disregard for what he says for us. It's evident by our hostility to hearing what God has for us and then not doing those things. That complete disregard for what God has for his people is hostility towards God. I'm sorry, my notes got mixed up. But you might be saying this, Donnie, you don't know me. You, you don't know how, uh, I am so sorry. Sorry. Paul is using powerful language here. Alienated, doing evil deeds. And alienated communicates exactly, exactly what Paul's getting at. That there was a time before you were in Jesus where you belonged to another. We have loved the ways of darkness and refused to walk in his light. Paul writes the sobering reality for the Colossian church in order to look forward at what Jesus has done for his people on the cross. But we cannot begin to comprehend the sacrifice of Christ and the beauty in his perfect life and death without some basic understanding of the fact that we are depraved. And if this is your first time in a church this morning, I promise this is actually a very hopeful message. Because the only way you see that Christ has done anything for you is first seeing what you have done to yourself in your sin. And I, and I would be, way, I'd be willing to bet that even if you're not a Christian, you feel the brokenness in this world. If you're doubting or, or, or deconstructing, that you, you have a sense that things are not the way they should be. You see, sin doesn't just affect the tree, it affects the whole cosmos. There is no square inch of creation that is not broken or touched by by the reality of sin. And I I actually know that you know it's there. I actually actually know that you feel that brokenness. You feel that difficulty. Regardless of if you're a Christian or not. Uh, Earlier this year, I, I experienced something pretty heartbreaking. One evening, I was on the phone uh, with my extended family, just talking about things, FaceTiming my nephews and my niece. It was a lot of joy. Um, but then suddenly, uh, Veronica, my wife, and I got bombarded with text 
and emails, not emails, texts and calls from everybody in my family, people who I haven't heard from in months and months. And I, I eventually said, well, we have to end the call because I'm getting a lot of, something's wrong. That's what we said to my family. We said, something's wrong. And we hung up on them. But they persisted, and I answered the voice, and I heard my mother weeping on the other end of the line through tears and sobs and through brokenness and in a, in a shattered voice that I had never heard from my mother before. She said, Donnie, your dad is dead. He died. And this was completely unexpected. My dad wasn't very old. He wasn't in hospice. He didn't have a, a critical medical condition that would have eventually taken his life. No. My dad passed away from a heart attack brought on by the use of illegal drugs. He overdosed in a field and laid there for 20 hours before anybody found him. My mother and father, though close, were divorced, and that means I, as his only biological son, had to go and identify his body. I'm the one who had to settle his last affairs. I'm the, I'm the one who had to close bank accounts. Because I was his son, I had to do these things. And if you are not a Christian, I would wager you probably would say, this is not how it should be. I, I've stood at the, at the foot of young parents' beds who have no time left in this world. I have said goodbye to students passing away from autoimmune diseases. I, I have lived in broken relationships time and time again, either from broken by what they did or broken by what I did. But you and I have a very deep sense that the world is not how it should be. That there is a brokenness here at our base level we feel and we want it fixed. The world is deeply broken and hostile to God. You feel it and I feel it. You've experienced tragic loss, broken relationships, the hurt of being pained by people. The world and you and I are hostile to God but if we don't see that depth of brokenness, we can never truly understand what Jesus has done on the cross. So by beginning with a broken world, Paul doesn't intend to beat you over the head with just how sinful and broken you are. No, he's, he's saying you get to look up at something much more miraculous, something much more beautiful. That at one time you were hostile before God, but now Christ has made you holy. And that brings us to our second point. This is verse 22. Now you are holy. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. There, there is a, there's a massive change that is taking place between the first two verses. Once you were a hostile alien to God, you hated him. You, you felt the depth of brokenness in, in the world. But now Jesus has died for us, and now we are holy. And it says he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. 
there were some people who might have been peddling the idea that, that maybe Christ, maybe, maybe Jesus wasn't real and this is just a moral story. You've heard those people and I've heard those people. The, the Colossian church was told that, well, Jesus' physical body doesn't matter. They were told a plethora of lies in order to convince them that Jesus wasn't enough. And so when Paul picks up here to say his body of flesh, he's saying this is real and this is historic and nothing can change it. There is not a fact more evident in history than that Jesus lived and died and anybody who would tell you otherwise is lying. You, you, may, read, you may have read the word reconciled and, and think, great, I'm forgiven. I, I am forgiven by God. But I, but I want you to know there's much, much more happening here. Forgiveness is, is the basement of what it means to be reconciled to God. It is, it is the very least thing that it means. Like uh, Tim Keller, our father who art in Manhattan, says this. He says, forgiveness means you can go. But reconciliation means you can come. You can stay. You can be here in God's presence. Our relationship is restored. That things are different. You don't just walk away from this God. No, the reconciliation of death on the cross says, come and be with me in my presence. It's a far greater thing than forgiveness. And it, and it, it is difficult for us to comprehend but the thing that Christ has done for us on the cross in dying as a perfect sacrifice doesn't mean that you are just forgiven. It means that God looks on you in the perfection of Jesus Christ if you have faith in him. And God has loved his son from eternity. It's not just that you get to walk away from God and not get punished by him, it's that he invites you in to be loved and adored like he loves and adores his son. That's what, Isaiah, that's what Isaiah 61 says of those who have faith in Christ, that we wear his garments of righteousness. That now when God looks at you, he, just doesn't, look at, he doesn't look at someone who's just forgiven. He looks at you in the righteous robes of Christ's perfection and rejoices over you and loves you just like he loves his son. So, so learn, it's more than forgiveness. It's much, much better. And that is because Jesus is enough. And it's also important to know that you're not being presented in front of him as someone who is still considered guilty. You don't have another trial to go to. You are holy and blameless, above reproach. God, as someone, God has pardoned you in the multiplicity of your sins that you and I are responsible for committing. It is not simply that wrongs are overlooked, but that Jesus, but by faith in Jesus, when you stand before God, he sees you as the perfect sinless son, clothed in his righteousness. You're not being presented as forgiven. You are being presented as holy. And there is a major difference there. Once you were hostile, but now the death of Jesus Christ has restored our relationship. By his death, he has presented us as holy. 
But right now you may be thinking, well, Donnie, you don't know who I am. You don't know the depth of my brokenness or the reality of my sin or the things I've done that still keep me up at night. You may be actually right now trying to justify to yourself why it is that Jesus couldn't love you as much as Scripture tells us he does. You're picking out these private things that you cannot get over because you think that they are justification enough for someone not to care for you. I do that. And I believe you do it as well. And you're right. I don't know the depth of your brokenness. And it's actually not my business to really know it. I have no idea about it because I'm not God. But the very same person who knows the depth to which you are broken and sinful and evil and hostile, the one who knows every sin that you've ever hidden, that you've tried to tuck away, he is the one who died on the cross to present you as holy before God. He is the one who knows the depth of your brokenness better than you ever will, and he is the one who still went to die for you. Jesus is the one who put his body on the line and took the punishment of sinners. So you're right, I don't know the depth of your brokenness, but I'm not the one who died for you. And the one who died for you does. And scripture tells us he went to the cross for the joy set before him. That means in full knowledge of the depth of your brokenness, Jesus still went to the cross. So, so rest from convincing yourself that you are somehow not loved by him. Rest from the idea that you are only forgiven. <laughs> because it is much more than that. Rest from the idea of trying to justify yourself before God like the Colossians were. Through these outside means that liars were telling them were necessary for salvation. Jesus is enough. The depth of your brokenness doesn't somehow make the sacrifice of Jesus Christ less efficacious. The grace of God is like water where it flows to the lowest possible places. This was the message the Colossian people needed because they were being told by false teachers that Jesus wasn't enough. That Jesus wasn't sufficient. But Paul forcefully writes in these, in these verses, Jesus is enough. And nothing else will ever be as sufficient. You don't need to chase dead paths to heaven. In the, in the movie Chariots of Fire, there's a gentleman named Abraham Howard who said when the, guns go, when the gun goes off and he's about to run, he's an Olympic runner, he says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. That must be crushing. That you must justify your existence by the efforts of yourself and not leaning into the efforts of the God who died for you, who knows your brokenness. And it, and it forces the question, like where, where in your life are you insisting that you justify yourself before God? Do you judge yourself on the basis of your parenting? Are you mad at yourself for relationships that have fallen apart where you weren't as good as you could have been? Do, do you have issues in your life that, that affect your marriage and you're not as close with your spouse as you'd like to be and then you convince yourself, well then I must not be saved. You are lying to yourself. Jesus knows how broken and sinful you are. He knew before you were conceived in the womb and he still chose to die 
There's nothing you can do to make the sacrifice of Christ less efficacious. Remember Christ's words on the cross. It is finished. He didn't finish the lesson then give his people a homework assignment that you must do more to be saved because the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Jesus has completed the work. It is finished. The work is done. It is sufficient. At one point, you were hostile to God, but by faith in Jesus Christ, you are blameless, above reproach, holy. So then what is the responsibility of God's people? What do you and I have to do in order to truly grasp on to this reality? Well, that's the question that Paul answers in verse 23 and our final point once you were hostile now you are holy so cling to your hope read verse 23 with me if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which I Paul became a minister. Now you may read these first two verses and you hear, I was hostile, Jesus made me holy, and now it is my responsibility to hold on to Jesus for dear life. And in in some way that's true. But if you're reading this and you're thinking that my salvation is dependent on my hold on Jesus, that's not what this verse is saying. Because if it were totally up to you and I to hold on to Jesus with all of our might, we would much prefer as the sinful, sick tree to walk away from him. Clearly, Paul is saying, you might be thinking, it's up to me to hold on. But I, I want to reassure you that that is not what the verses are saying here. Scripture is clear that faith and repentance are things that are worked in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That your, your ability to see Jesus for what he is and the beauty therein and the brokenness and depth of your sin is only because the Holy Spirit has first moved in your life. That's the only reason that you have faith. That's the only reason you repent. But what about obedience, Donnie? Give me, give me a list of things I have to do to be saved. Tell me that I, all these things that I can do so the great HR boss in the sky can be happy with me. That he can judge me on grading my performance. Faith and repentance are worked by the Spirit. Obedience is a fruit of that Spirit. Obedience is a work that the Holy Spirit does in you. Paul isn't expressing here that he doubts the Colossians will be saved. He's saying that those who are saved will hold on to Jesus. Clinging to Christ is an example of the fact that the Holy Spirit has worked salvation in their hearts because Jesus is the sufficient party in this. Not you, not your works, not the things that you think make you glorified before God outside of Christ. Those things, moth and rust, will destroy. 
before God by faith in Jesus. He sees you as his son, perfect, sinless, holy, blameless, above reproach. And as the judge, he reassures you, assures you that he has done the work to save you. You do not cling to your hope in Jesus Christ by your own strength. You cling to your hope in Jesus because he first holds on to you. That's what John 6 says. Jesus is far more committed to you than you and I are to him. Left to our own devices, we would be hostile. The natural man hates God, but because Jesus has reconciled this relationship by faith in him, we are made holy. And again, that's more than forgiveness. Forgiveness says you can go. Reconciliation says come and stay. That you are invited in like a child of God loved and adored by him in a way that no one has ever loved and adored you. And it is only because Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. It is only because Jesus is enough. Pray with me. Lord, we try and try and try to convince ourselves somehow that you are not enough. We lie to ourselves about our own infirmities, our own sins, our own brokenness. We try and justify and say, surely Jesus won't love me if he knew how broken I was. Lord, remind your people that the depth of our brokenness is what compels Christ's heart to love sinners and sufferers. That we are not somehow, that Christ's sacrifice is not less efficacious because we are broken. No, it's efficacious precisely because we are broken. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Christ through reconciliation and reminding us of the beautiful truth that Jesus is enough. Amen.